Hey, hi, I am Richard Donner, but you can call me Dick, and you're listening to Superman Movie Minute. Is that right? Did I do it right? Welcome to another thrill-packed episode of Superman 3 Movie Minute, a show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can fly is 1983 Superman 3, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Franklin, and joining me on this journey through time and space is... Rob Kelly. This is it, Rob. We're here. <laughs> this is it. We've struck credits. I'm so excited. <laughs> yes, we're in the final, not quite five minutes of the film. Uh, I don't know about you, but at this point, it seems uh, longer than three back-to-back screenings of Avengers Endgame. Uh, <laughs> this movie is so long. Why is it so long? Why will Daddy? Why won't the movie stop? <laughs> oh, oh, shoo. yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like the end of the Lord of the Rings long. At this point, it's like, oh, come on, just stop now, you know. <laughs> To to quote Mystery Science Theater, uh, this movie is over and they just won't admit it. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I want to say, everybody, before anybody out there gets it, Chris and I thoroughly enjoy recording together and we enjoy doing this show. We wouldn't have started it if we didn't. And I will always enjoy recording with Chris, but we both have come to the conclusion this movie nearly broke us doing it in five minute chunks. It did. Yeah. I mean, and without the, the, the little blip of after the junkyard fight, after the little blip of, of talking about Vera, Robo Vera with, with Brian, with Brian Heiler. After that, it's like, oh, yeah, we still got how many more episodes after that? <laughs> I, not, to, not to be gross, but the episode with Brian was the climax. And this is all the smoking afterwards, basically. <laughs> There's regret. There's should we have done this? <laughs> should I have done that? I don't know. I feel kind of bad about it now. How long do I have to wait to leave? I don't know. You know, you know. <laughs> should I call later? I don't know. Uh... <laughs> you can tell we're punchy, everybody, because we're just so excited to be down to the fast four minutes and fifty eight seconds of this movie. Right. So we start off these minutes with the Daily Planet staff recoiling from the exploding Jingo Bingo machine and end with a star field with the text distributed by Warner Brothers. Um, so uh, this is the last time we'll see Annette O'Toole's Lana Lang, oh. which is very disappointing. And I will say if she had been in Superman 4 and they continued the love triangle or maybe that's a square with Superman – uh, with Clark, Lois, and Lana, I I would have liked that movie a whole lot more. So I, you know, it's hard to say because I, as we know, I hate that movie. And like, would it have? <laughs> would it have? It, would I have? Would it have colored Lana Lang for me? Her being in this movie, but yeah, you're probably right. Any movie with an tool is probably inherently a little better from her presence. So yes, I think that's probably a safe thing to say that the movie would have been better if they had decided to keep Lana Lang. 
Yeah, I think so. And she does have a great scream when the uh, jingo bingo machine, you know, the lid pops off. And- oh, she does. Yeah, yeah. It's very <laughs> high pitched, and then the top of it comes flying. Up. And that can really hurt you. That top panel, it like that's like like not razor thin, but it's sharp. So like yeah. that piece could really hurt you if you got hit by it. Yeah, if this was in a Final Destination movie, somebody would have been beheaded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming next summer, final destination minute from the Fire and Water podcast. Network. There you go. <laughs> Margot does mug nicely at the camera as this thing explodes. I mean, she she despite the fact that she's barely in this movie, she does give it her all in the scene. The scene she's in, so you know, she's not she's not phoning it in. No, nope. Uh, but as you pointed out last time, where's Jimmy? Where's Jimmy Olsen? Yeah, he's. <laughs> I guess he's headed off to hang out with Supergirl. He's already on his way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's going to check out. He's going to go eat at Popeye's Chicken and uh, <laughs> wait for Supergirl to show up. Uh, <laughs> uh, we cut to the green screen of Italy, and our <laughs> exasperated <laughs> vendor is now very happy. He's unpacking ceramic replicas of the now unleaning Tower of Pisa as it stands straight in the background. He shows off his wares to the street sweeper, Giorgio. Uh, as if on cue, the Man of Steel flies in and pushes the tower back into its original leaning position. He waves at the men as he flies off. The vendor drops the statue he's holding and in, then asks for Giorgio's broom. He then takes it to his stand, knocking over and destroying all the straight tower replicas. So what do we think of this gag, Rob? It's all right. I mean, you know, these Superman movies, they always have to end with a gag. Uh, that's just, well, the first one doesn't really end with a gag, but the second one ends with a gag. Third one ends with a gag. It's just, it's just part of the tradition. I mean, you know, and obviously you can't get too wrapped up in the physics of any single element of a Superman movie because none of it makes sense. But I really would be concerned that the Leaning Tower of Pisa is going to fall over at this point because yeah. the, 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 the ground that it is sitting in has been shifted hugely twice in the last couple of days. And so, uh, I don't know if I lived within the shadow of that thing, I'd be, I'd be a little concerned. Uh, yeah, me it's no longer, uh, <laughs> it's no longer very, and you know, does it, I, I mean, I don't know. Does it ruin the historical value? If you've known somebody has moved it and then moved it back. I don't think part of the appeal is that it's like, wow, how's that thing not falling over yet? But again, I'm taking it all, uh, way too seriously. And you know, this, this visa, this uh, Pisa vendor, Good Lord, he just immediately destroys everything. I don't know, maybe return that stuff. Didn't he get insurance? I don't know, maybe a piece of vendors don't, don't have it. It would have been a rare collector's item from when yeah. Superman straightened it out for like a week, right? Exactly. You, know? you probably could have sold him like that, you know? I mean, that. see, now that would have been fun if there had been, I mean, we know there was no toy line from this set because we were talking about that with Brian Heiler, that the Superman movies surprisingly did not move toys very well. But, yeah. uh, I mean, you really, you could, if there is like a leaning tower of Pisa miniature that you could get and you get your superpower Superman, you could just move that back and forth and replicate <laughs> scenes from the movie. Yeah. Have it on a little arm that makes it like a little hinge that makes yeah. it like tilt or go straight. Yeah. That'd power be cool. action. Lena to leaning tower of Pisa straightening action. <laughs> and then it would be on the list of like phallic toys, you know, that come up later. So right. that. <laughs> exactly. I do like that Christopher Reeve is, of course, you know, he's giving it his all here when, he, when it shows him. It looks like he's like, he's like feeling the, like the ground, like, okay, I think, I think this is it. He's got this look on his face, like, <laughs> okay, okay, right here. Yeah, there it is. There it is. That's, that's where it needs to be. And I, I you know, that's, that's the only way that this, he makes this work because he does that, you know, 
Because if you think about it too much, right, you're right. It's like the minute he flies off, it's just going to completely crumble yeah. the ground. You know, it's just <laughs> going to fall over. People. Yeah. Timber, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. So, yeah. It's going to be like when that Vol- that one Vulcan gets whammied in the Star Trek remake, when the, 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 the planet starts falling apart, and you see that one guy just gets wham, the statue hits. That's what's going to happen to everybody who lives within the, again, with the shadow of the leading tower of Pisa. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> we then cut to the standard Superman movie ending of flying into space toward the sun. Then the camera with a smile, and he's got one arm up at the end this time, which they, you know, they switch those out. Uh, but uh, so this is, uh, we, you know, we, we end with Christopher Reeve's reassuring smile of, you know, hey, it's okay. I'm Superman. I'm here. It's, it's going to be good. It's all right. You know, so it, that always makes me happy. So <laughs> Oh, sure. You can't, can't beat that. I mean, we talked about this in the previous minutes, but like, and they sort of backfilled it with dialogue, but it seems so weird that we don't see Ross Webster get carted away by the cops or any, like we see them all in the cave and that's it. You're done. Like, really? Like, Superman, you don't, I don't, it just seems, it seems like such unfinished business. And like I said, I think that's why that dialogue in the, in the previous scene was done in. Cause it, I think they realized, should we mention what happened to the villains of this whole movie? Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no scene of Superman flying three people into a prison. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like in the first movie. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, the credits begin, and after the salt kinds, we get financial services. Howard R. Schuster. Uh, he's right after the salt kinds, so that just goes to show how important the <laughs> money men were to this franchise. And it also explains what's going to happen with Superman Four. <laughs> it is. It we again. We've talked about this in previous episodes, but it is amazing. No, in the in the age we live in now, where these corporations own these IP, and with it with an iron grip, that the idea that there were characters like Superman and Batman that were essentially licensed out to independent producers. Mm-hmm. And they held the rights. And the fact that the Superman film rights could be sold by private people to another company with Warner Brothers just basically sitting off to the sidelines is inconceivable today. In- yeah. conce- can you imagine going to Disney and saying, can I buy Iron Man from you guys so I can make my own Iron Man movie? Like, what? <laughs> you know, like it's inconceivable that that was the way it worked. Up into the eighties, it's just stunning. I guess the closest thing we've got now that's still going is Sony and Spider Man because you know they in in desperation when they were broke, Marvel sold the film rights like and to 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 Sony, and they still, I mean, they can't get they they will they will have to like like take them out of the uh, the Columbia ladies, you know, dead hands when they (laughs) cold dead hands to to get the rights back to Spider-Man, you know, and there's all this, these theories back and forth that how this is affecting the promotion of the Spider-Man movie. While we're not seeing what's probably in the film yet is like arguments between how to handle it between Disney and, and Sony. And, and I don't know if any of that's true, but it's a mess, you know, and apparently they've worked out another deal to continue on together but it's still like it's like you know what? Why the crap can't Marvel just make Spider-Man movies? This is ridiculous. You know? it, it does. It just seems crazy. It just really does. And just that also, you know, we now know that, like the the world of these universes. It's so silly that like, yeah, you own the rights to like 
I mean, the Sony deal is different. And by the way, you can tell everybody that we have nothing left to say about Superman 3 because we're talking about the Spider-Man movie rights at this point. <laughs> but it just seems funny to me that, like, you can own the rights to Spider- And it's like, Spider-Man, yeah, you can make Spider-Man movies, but the thing that everyone loves is that he's part of the Marvel Universe. And, like, having him at not part of the Marvel Universe, yeah, you could do it, but, eh, you know, it just feels yeah. so silly. And now we know why, of course, as, as kids... We were probably always like, why can't Superman meet Batman? Like, why can't they even do that? Well, because the Salkinds didn't own the rights to any of the other characters. They own the rights to the Superman characters, and that was it. So they were probably, even if it had occurred to them to say, hey, you know what? Let, maybe we'll throw a scene where Superman flies over Gotham. They couldn't even do that anyway because right. it wasn't owned. They didn't, you know, when as a kid, you don't understand these things. But again, it's just the idea that Warner Brothers would let the rights to their premier character fall in the hands of an independent set of producers is just, you know, it just makes absolutely no sense. Now, like I said, luckily they were good stewards of the character. And when they handed it off to another group of people, then it stopped being good stewards. But <laughs> nevertheless, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And so, yeah, the money credit, it seems very telling in a lot of ways. Yeah, it does. Yeah. We'll go through a few other credits here. Uh, we uh, Up top, we've got pro- production executive Pauline uh, Countlink. I think that's how you pronounce that. Uh, it's nice to see a uh, a woman up up in the credits. That's probably kind of unusual at an executive level in Hollywood at this time. You know, you didn't. it seemed like a, a, a boys club in a lot of ways. Uh, she also worked on Supergirl and Santa Claus the movie, uh, <laughs> of course, which were the Salkind's next two films. So, yep. I love the uh, I love that the credits are coming at us uh, in a sort of 3D style. They reversed it, uh, where the the the, the, the credits are f- you know flying at us like it's 3D, which is cool. I like it's yeah. it's just a fun visual that I think is the only time they would ever do it. Is this uh, is this kind of thing? Yeah, um, that, that, I noticed that in here a minute. We'll get rapid fire credits, which yeah. is kind of crazy. Uh, Robert Paintner is back from Superman two as director of photography, and uh, he also. Uh, did that job on Little Shop of Horrors, Trading Places, Spies Like Us, and an American Werewolf in London. Yeah. <laughs> Which you talked about recently, Rob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did the commentary. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, production designer Peter Merton has worked on the James Bond films, going all the way back to Goldfinger. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's like, <laughs> I mean, if you say, yeah, I was a production designer on Goldfinger, I think you, that's it. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, you were on the greatest James Bond movie ever. Don't argue with me, people. Come on. Like, we, all, we all know it. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that, well, That'll be a conversation for another day, Chris. But okay, uh, okay. Yeah, I take your point. Okay. Of course, we have Co- Colin Ch- uh, Chilvers back as director of special effects and miniatures. Uh, so that's, there's a lot of continuity uh, with uh, the previous Superman films. But I did notice that Lynn Stallmaster didn't get a credit for casting. There were different casting directors mentioned, like two or three. But he cast the Daily Planet staff, you know, mm-hmm. including Christopher Reeve. <laughs> you think it would a lot of times it'll say original casting by, you know, this person. So it right. should have said original casting by Lynn Stallmaster. I'm just saying. Yeah, um, no, it's it's kind of like how uh, in the Oscars, if you write any sequel, if you get nominated for a sequel, uh, that nomination has to be under a, adapted screenplay. It can't be mm. original because they consider it, well, if you're taking up characters that already existed, it's adapting it in some way. And so, yeah, I would think that Lynn Stallmaster, if he, if he cast Superman, 
like you should get permanent credit in these movies because he's the reason Christopher Reeve is there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Of course, Richard Donner doesn't get any credits either. So that's true. <laughs> he he didn't even get one for Superman too, which he directed half of, mm. uh, at least. Uh, the costume designer here is Evangeline Harrison, so no Yvonne Blake, which is, you know, she designed Superman's costume for the movies as well. So, hmm, okay. Um, Zoran Persik is, of course, listed, uh, but he's just listed as consultant for his Zoptic effects this time. So I wonder if he wasn't hands-on with this film. Hmm. So yeah, maybe thought, that was a, a hangover kind of credit. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, after John Williams' credit, uh, like I said, the, for the original themes, uh, which he does get that, thank goodness, uh, the, the credits just like fly by at like yep. rapid pace. Um, and I did learn something, Rob, while looking at IMDb. Um, the Alberta production manager, Les Kimber, his photo is of the bus driver from Superman 3. So huh. that's our bus driver. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> We were wondering, why is this guy not listed? He's got dialogue. It's because yeah. he's the production manager. Okay, so. that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Even the cast goes by at super speed, which seems really odd. I mean, it's it's like you've got to like really be paying attention to read who played who, including Christopher Reeve. I mean, his name flies by. Uh, they're assuming everybody's shuffled out of the theater at this point. But did you notice there was one recognizable name in the in the credits before we get to the the cast? I mean, these are oh, all names. Know. Uh, under illustrators, it says Dennis Rich and Michael Plug. Oh, the great, the great Michael Plug, of course, from Marvel Comics. Now, uh, he never did any stuff for DC, if if my memory serves. Yeah. And he did a lot of movie stuff. So, but there he is. So I don't. I'm not exactly sure whether he was a storyboard artist or whatever. I know he did a lot of movie work, and so uh, this is maybe this is the only chance he ever touched a DC character in any way. Was uh, was doing the the work for Superman. But there he is. As soon as I was looking at, it, I was like, oh, geez, I know that name. Oh, I, I missed that. I think someone sent us, and I apologize, I don't remember who it was, so I think someone sent us a link to some of his storyboards yes. um, a few weeks ago, and I was like, oh, cool, Mike Plug, you know, because I mean, I always think of um, of a Werewolf by Night when I mm-hmm. think of, and he did a lot of man thing, and by the, I think he did, didn't he do the, the Power Records with the Suicidal Clown? I yes, think he, he did. Yeah, he did yeah. that as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously an issue of man thing. They adapted into a Power Records, but it'll always be the Power Record about a Suicidal Clown. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe I missed that. Um, I did notice this kind of, you know, we talked last time that we recently lost Gavin O'Hare, he, um, but his credit, everyone else's credit is the actor and then a space and then the character name. But for some odd reason, his is Gavin O'Harely as Brad. I, I don't oh, understand. That's right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's kind of weird. It's like, I wonder if he had that in his contract or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you have a good agent, you can kind of get, you know, spe- and special crap. But yeah, that's, he's not credited in the opening like that. I don't think. Right. Well, they don't even have an opening credits really. So. Yeah. Uh, well, no way. Yeah, they do. But I mean, I don't. Uh, it's yeah. always it's flying over top of the the slapstick. That's right. So, that's yeah. right. Gee, what am I saying? Of course we have. Nobody. See, it was it was so long ago. I don't remember <laughs> anymore what the opening of this movie was. Uh, I was too busy looking at people getting pies in the face. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that must have been an agent thing that he was able to yeah. somehow get that. And if you have a bad agent, then you're like the poor guy in Wrath of Khan that played uh, Khan's second in command that doesn't get a credit in the yeah, film man. at all. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts. Uh, there's also no credit for uh, Beatles Rollover Beethoven or Earth Angel by the Penguins, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. 
uh, it's like those songs were at the, uh, at the class reunion, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, however, that horrible, they won't get me by Roger Miller, which I didn't realize was by Roger Miller (laughs) is credited that horrible synth country song that just keeps playing throughout the film. Uh, and I like Roger Miller otherwise, but that's horrible. I'm sorry. Uh, and uh, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, she is credited for no Speaking scene, of Wrath no, of Khan. Yeah, Wrath of Khan, Wrath of Khan. Uh, for, <laughs> we're punchy as hell. Uh, she's credited for No See, No Cry, which, where, where's that in the film? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that. I know that song only vaguely. I've heard it, but I don't remember where it was in the movie. So. If Maybe Shaka Khan had shown up, it made things more interesting, you know. Yeah, so. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> uh, love theme by Giorgio Moroder. That's just what it's called. No, no italics. Love theme by okay. Giorgio Moroder. Uh, lyrics by Keith Forsey. There's lyrics for the Clark Lana theme. I uh, yeah. <laughs> that I don't know. I mean, I guess you. I guess you, you write lyrics in case you need them, but. You know, nobody needed them. It's like a Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, thing I was going to say lyrics. that. Yeah, it's like the Gene Roddenberry lyrics for Star Trek. But just to stick it to Alexander Courage. So Starlight, Star Bright, my love, or whatever the hell horrible lyrics are. Oh, it's are horrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Siegel and Schuster's credit is buried at the end, but at least mm. it gets the screen to itself. Uh, at least it's there. At least it's there. That was the big driver for them getting recognized was that the movie was coming and, and uh, uh, God bless Neil Adams and Jules Pfeiffer for, for that fight that uh, we are, that's a long documented, you can read about it, but uh, you know, thank goodness because absolutely they deserve to be mentioned in these movies. And then, you know, going forward, it would be part of every superhero movie which there. The creator credits would be there at least in, maybe in the front, but especially in the back. And that's, that's an important thing because without those two boys, we wouldn't have any of this. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, video game computer animation by Atari Incorporated. So where's our video game that looked like that, Atari? Yeah, seriously. That's what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing Pitfall with that little boop, 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 boop guy, and I wanted to have a full-on <laughs> Superman. Come on. Yeah. The producers wish to thank the government of Alberta and the city of Calgary. So there you go, Ranger Gord. That's for you. Yeah, why wasn't he over. mentioned in there? Why, why didn't they thank Ranger Gord? That seems kind of Exactly. <laughs> Apparently the supercomputer was filmed in Glen Canyon and I always like that guy's music. So, uh, Oh, it's Glenn <laughs> Campbell. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Galveston. Oh, Galveston. Uh, car muncher by Mondo pumps. I love that credit. I mean, where else are you going to get a credit like that? <laughs> oh my God. Can you tell everybody we are really trying to stretch this episode past the 20 minute mark. So Henry Bernstein doesn't give us a bunch of crap. I'm getting, I'm getting to the end. I'm getting to the end. Uh, and on various locations, Talk slower, Al- Chris. and on various locations <laughs> in Alberta and Italy. So those aerial shots in Italy, I guess those count because obviously the, the vendor was not filmed in Italy. No, that bad. Those two actors were nowhere near Italy at any point during the making of this film. <laughs> and I noticed there's no coming soon. Superman four. Nope. Nope, nope, Christopher nope. Reeve was done as far yeah. as he was concerned at this yeah. point. So uh, any other credits stand out to you, Rob? No, not really. I did. Uh, I, you know, way in the back, I noticed the last credit before the cast is the assistant Matt artist, Janice Kent. Uh, mm. And so, you know, if this was written by Roy Thomas, she would be related to Clark Kent in some way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she would. <laughs> 
Uh, she's Jonathan Kent's uh, third cousin. Yeah, uh, exactly. Right. Twice removed or something. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, we're at the end of the film, Rob. So I have to ask this question. Did watching this movie five minutes at a time change any of your thoughts on the film that you had going into doing this show? I learned a lot <laughs> on this show. About yourself. Uh, about myself, about you, about the audience, about Ranger Gord, about Canada. Uh, no, I okay, a couple things. I mean, the I had not seen this movie in a very long time before we dived into to watching it. So the parts that are good were better than I remember, and the parts that are bad are worse than I remember. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Um, and so, so there's that. And I also learned, having done now four different movie-by-minutes series, we've done three Supermans, and I did Citizen Kane, this format is very, very difficult to do if you don't completely love the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I we learned I learned that the hard way, and I think Chris, you would probably say the same thing. It's like we went into it. I mean, when we started the show, you know, five years ago or four years ago, we always said well, we're going to do all the movies. That was always the plan. And but we really dined out on Superman one and two because we love those movies so thoroughly. And we I don't know again I don't know about you, but I thought well doing three will be fun because it's part of the series. But we really did hit a kind of sticking point after a while where you just got like wow. I'm sitting here having to analyze five minutes of this movie and there's, you know, for, uh, there's nothing fun to talk about because there's nothing. And so that has taught me that if I'm ever going to do another movies by minutes show, and I would love to, cause I like this format. It's gotta be a movie that I love from stem. Just doesn't mean it doesn't have flaws, but it's gotta be a movie that I love so completely with both hands, because if I don't, it gets a little tiresome to do. And, mm-hmm. and so that's been something, I mean, again, the show has been fun and we love interacting with everybody. We love the comments we get and, and stuff like that. Don't, don't get me wrong, but it's, it, the, the center of the show has been kind of hard to kind of focus on when there's been parts where I'm just like, Oh God, this general scene and Oh God, the pie, you know, pie in the face. And, oh, you know, it, that, so I, and I learned that I genuinely learned having, having been, I've been podcasting for 10 years. You kind of think, is there anything left for me to learn? Well, I did learn. <laughs> movie, movies by minute format is unforgiving, if unless you completely love the movie. <laughs> you know, I had the same thing written down. I had the exact same thing that the the parts that I always loved going in, I I, I love them more, and I really enjoy them. And the parts that I was always kind of, I I like them even less than, <laughs> than I did. I had the exact same thing written down. Uh, I think this movie overall, I think it's worth watching because it's got Christopher Reeve. It's got Annette O'Toole. And uh, so I, I, I definitely think it's worth someone's time. If you haven't watched it in a while, I still feel the overall plot is like a bronze age Superman comic story. But as we have pointed out, this movie is so tonally all over the place. It, it can't decide if it wants to be a slapstick comedy a straight action movie or romantic comedy or what have you. Yes. All these elements, they were on display in the first film, but there was a balance there uh, that's missing in this film. Uh, In the second film, Lester teetered it more toward absurdist comedy with elements of that otherwise impressive battle. And I think the success of Superman two was like, Oh, audiences like that. So let's do more of that, you know? And, um, 
This time the whole thing fluctuates between light or slapstick comedy. I may mean, not even consider the, you know, the, the Clark Lana things like light comedy. Uh, and there's just a few exceptions, which would be the chemical fire, the battle in the junkyard and the final confrontation with the computer, especially the, the robo Vera part, you know? So, I mean, for me, great chemistry between Reeve and O'Toole aside, the best parts of this film don't actually fit in this film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet those elements are the elements that feel like a Superman movie. Mm-hmm. So this does feel like Richard Pryor trying to do a family-friendly comedy that somehow has Superman grafted in it, even more so than a Superman movie with Pryor shoehorned in it. That's, yep. that's kind of the way I felt walking away from it. Uh, so, I mean, that's, and I, I didn't think that before, but I kind of think that now it's like they, they really, and it all stemmed from just a a one-off interview from (laughs) when he was on what Johnny Carson on the tonight show. Yeah. All that from that one thing. All from that one thing. And it's, um, yeah. Give him a cameo guys. You know, do you like, do you like they used to do in Batman 66? Give him a cameo in a window or something, you know, Christian (laughs) Slater shows up in star Trek six. He's in that one scene. Yeah. You know, with with George Takai. Yeah. Just do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's an odd, it's an odd film. And I, and I understand, you know, we knew, we knew that going in, we, we knew that this one wouldn't be, the slam dunk that the first two were, you know, with us, we, we didn't, we didn't feel as strongly about this one as that one. And I think, I I think I liked it more than you did going in. Yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah. But I actually think I'm right there with you now (laughs) (laughs) having, uh, having done it five minutes at a time. And we've tried to be, and I hope, I hope, I hope we come across as that. We tried to be as positive as we could and, and appreciate, appreciate what was that what really worked for us and and not just you know bang on it all the time we, we no, tried no, to no, no. And, and and we tried to have fun with it too and not just be you know miserable about it yeah. and I, I think i think we succeeded I, absolutely yeah no 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 i i think we we gave this movie every fair shake imaginable but we also know that there's parts of it that are pretty indefensible it's just the way it is you know i mean yeah. and we even called out some of the scenes of superman too that are a little like you know all the, and again, all kind of all the Richard Lester stuff. And it's sort of funny that Hollywood doesn't really learn its lesson because they kind of are like, well, the director did well on this one, so let's let him go loose on the next one. And that's where you get into trouble. And that's kind of what happened with Batman and Batman Returns, really. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, Tim Burton, you know, when you when you score a hit at the, the, the batman size hit that Tim Burton had, I can understand that the studio would say, all right, hands off, you're a genius. And then... And Burton really indulged himself on the second one, and it led to the point where they took he got pulled off the series. So it's yep. the same kind of idea. It's like just because someone has a hit. Now, I mean, I'm always for artistic, you know, uh, visions and not being compromised by studio notes. At the same time, people are fallible, and you might you might need someone strong a stronger hand to come in and say, "Whoa, well, wait a minute, hold on, what are we doing? You know, penguins with rocket packs? What's going on here?" You know, and so same thing with this. It's like, all right, but yeah, the, there was a nice comedy action balance in the second one, but are we leaning to ha- like, what What do we do? What, why is this guy, why are these stoply people beating each other up? Like, what? What is it? You know, and uh, and from what we've heard of the Salt Guides, they were strong-handed producers. I mean, yeah. so so much of it, they fired Richard Donner 
Yeah. Uh, and yet it seems like here they just kind of let, you know, they, you know, they, they let, uh, what the, what the hell's the director of this movie? Lester, Richard <laughs> Lester. Lester. I don't like know his name. I'm so old. They let Richard Lester just kind of do what he wanted. And that didn't, in some cases didn't really work out. Yeah, I guess they were all really close friends, and I guess they just literally like, hey, let's all, you know, they just were all on board with each other. And yeah, they had worked together before, obviously. On the, the Musketeer yeah. films, and yeah. And and I guess, um, you know, it's kind of funny you brought that up about Tim Burton, because the same thing can be net leveled at the next director, because Batman Forever Very, was... Exactly. The- was a was a you know a fairly decent balance of what had come before with a lot of Joel Schumacher, but then in the next film he's like, okay, we're just going to remake that film, but we're going to Schumacher the hell out of it, you yeah. know. <laughs> so it's, it's, and then it's, Batman and Robin yep. killed the franchise. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. So it, yeah, it's it's funny. Yeah, they they never learn that lesson. You know, it's like there's there was no there was no Kevin Feige of the DC movies. To I really that. think you need somebody like that. You really need one person overseeing everything and saying, look, we got to keep it, you know, so again, I'm all for artistic experimentation and, and it's kind of fun now that the DC movies are all over the place that they've really yeah. kind of given up any semblance of a cohesive unified vision. And it's just, Oh, we'll do a Joker movie and we'll do doom patrol over here. And you know, that's fun. But if you're trying to make a series of Superman movies, I think you need you need to have one consistent hand on the tiller, kind of saying, "All right, this is this humor, this is going too far. This is <laughs> this is going too far." So, you know, but uh, that so you know, thank you, Superman three, for teaching me a lot about myself. <laughs> and we know we helped Brian Hyler out with therapy with Robo. Oh, absolutely, it was all worth it if just for that, just so Brian Hyler can sleep at night. Uh, it's worth it. Right, right. <laughs> so that wraps up our coverage of the movie, but we wow. still have a few Superman 3 episodes left because we're gluttons for punishment. Uh, so uh, should we tell them what the next episode will be, Rob? Absolutely, yeah. Next week, we are going to be talking about the Superman 3 comic book adaptation. Uh, yeah, the, we spent the first two seasons of the show bemoaning the fact there were no comic book adaptations of Superman the movie or Superman 2 and we finally got one for Superman 3 and so Chris and I will be talking about that uh, very special one-off comic book next week yeah Puzo be damned we're going to talk about a Superman (laughs) comic book Uh, so come back Uh, be sure to check out the other fine shows on the network at firewaterpodcast.com we'd love to read your comments on Superman 3 over there at firewaterpodcast.com and you can leave us a review in Apple Podcast if you're so inclined that'd be great Special thanks to Alex Robinson and Pete the Retailer of Star Wars Minute for starting the whole Movies by Minute phenomenon. Check out all the shows they have helped inspire over at MoviesByMinute.com. Extra special thanks to all the patrons of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. If you would like to support the network financially, go to Patreon.com slash FWPodcast. There you can find many ways to help support the network, keep it going, including support levels that get you a special shout-out on the show of your choice, like Superman's pal Henry Bernstein. And I believe we have a new Patreon supporter, don't we, Rob? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, Ian Fletcher is a uh, now a supporter of <laughs> Superman Movie Minute over on Patreon. Way to get it in at the last minute, Ian. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Ian. So you're now Superman's pal, too. So we go, the, sig- <laughs> the signal watch will be coming in the mail. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> it really won't. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> wow. Don't want to get your hopes up. So. Uh, Join our never-ending battle here next week on Superman Movie Minute as we conclude our coverage. Well, not quite conclude, but as we continue our coverage of Superman 3 with their comic book adaptation. See you then.
Giorgio, per favore. E grazie. 